Mystery, murder, and mayhem. You know what that means. It's Tuesday. It's tr- it's True Crime Tuesday. Tonight on Failure to Stop, I'm joined by Kendra. We're going to talk about a case from a little bit ago of uh, all the things that you love in a true crime case. Strange behavior, murder, lying, uh, bones, all the good stuff tonight <laughs> on True Crime Tuesday. <laughs> The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is Sunday. About the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, giddy up, Wolfpack. It's Failure to Stop. Failure to Stop is your favorite podcast. Thank you for making it the first listen of the day, which means you have waited all day to listen to a single podcast. We appreciate that you have made it Failure to Stop, the number one podcast, a platform where we entertain and inform first responders and our friends. Kendra is a former first responder. She used to be a police officer down in sunny Florida. I'm a current first responder to the extent that that, that title may be extended to me. I'm a 911 dispatcher. I'm currently still active in the field. Kendra uh, also has the dubious honor of being my ex-wife. We are forced to do this podcast as a condition of our divorce. If we miss uh, any episode, then our divorce will be uh, set aside. We will be blissfully wed once again. Kendra, how are you doing, my old friend? I'm doing very well. (laughs) How are you, John? Considering the circumstances that you're forced to appear. I'm forced to be here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, my thumb yeah. is healing nicely. For those of you that don't know, Kendra, who knows that I get weirded out by amputees of any kind, decided <laughs> to further alienate me from her life by chopping off the very tip of her thumb, the part that you would use to to collate, you know, a pages or push a button on an elevator or uh, the part what? the part that really that gets you. Well, you know, you, you never... push buttons with your thumb. No, on an elevator, I do. Oh, okay. Carry anyway, on. Anyway, the, the the part that gets you a ride when you hitchhike, that, that very tippiest part's gone. Uh, she's going to be getting a silicone prosthetic, I believe, and possibly some sort of uh, decorative glove. In the meantime, I've asked her to keep her hands in her pocket or to just simply out of frame. It's uh, sad to see uh, what otherwise would be, you would call a good person disfigured to the point where like, you don't want to talk to them anymore. Um, she was, you're so dumb. She was cutting up. Yeah. I have both, both of them. <laughs> I'm the dumb one. She was cutting up some cilantro for, for some kind of a poultice or something. And, uh, she cut off the tip of her thumb and, uh, no, no amount of holistic medicine can make that grow back. So, uh, I guess it's, uh, I guess it's over for you. The tip of the thumb wise. I did a spell um, and it didn't work. So. Did a spell. Uh, we're uh, this is our last show before Christmas. Are you, are you all you all ready for Christmas? Are you all mm. y'all done doing that? Or yeah, I mean, I'm ready in a on paper. I'm ready. But... So you're not you're not uh, you're not one of the people that goes to your school like you go to school with like a lot of self proclaimed witches who celebrate Yule and the equinox and all this, and you're not into that stuff, right? Like you still tr- even though you're you're going to school for a bachelor's degree in alternative medicine, like you still like. Uh, you still respect like our society's norms and things like that, right? Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but many of the Christmas traditions that we celebrate in America are based 
around Yule. So I that's guess true, it, but 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 I mean, there was a ruling in '72 that made them retroactively apply like all the way back. So okay, <laughs> well, in in a sense, I celebrate it because of that reason. But no, I I do celebrate regular Christmas, regular old Christmas. We just call it Christmas, just so you know. <laughs> um, American Christmas. Speaking of Christmas, a good gift that you could get for someone that you love would be a ghost bed. Folks, uh, ghost bed has been a proud sponsor of Failure to Stop since a long time before I got here. Go over to ghost bed, use the offer code Wolfpack. That'll get you 40% off of all of their wares. Ghost bed's mission in life is to make affordable and comfortable mattresses available to everyone on earth. And they're going to start with the first responders and the veterans. That's why they support Failure to Stop. Go over there and check out their website. You can look at their adjustable frames, their cooling technology found in their mattresses and their pillows. Uh, they have uh, very reasonable financing there. 0% down, 0% financing that even if you uh, have self-proclaimed witch credit, you could go over there and get a ghost bed for yourself, which would probably be offensive to you if you're a witch because obviously ghosts are like your cousin or something. <laughs> uh, it's all like Halloween appropriation. So sorry to those of you who who are celebrate orthodox halloween uh but <laughs> you could go over there and get 40 percent off right now it's the holidays right like regardless of whether or not you're you're celebrating a legitimate holiday like christmas or a phony baloney made up one like <laughs> um, you you i think both of these traditions involve a lot of gift giving uh and so you could go over there and uh you could see on their website that now's a good time for a lot of deals but if you see one on the website that's a better deal than 40%, absolutely go with that. Don't be crazy. Get the better deal. But when you check out, put in the comment section, put in Wolfpack, put in Failure to Stop. Let them know that Failure to Stop is the reason why you're there. That way, they continue to give us a kickback in the form of money for us to keep advertising for them. And it gives us a reason to uh, produce this show. It's, it's not easy to do it. Kendra works hard, and I work about 10 to 20 times harder. And uh, to, to make the show, <laughs> Kendra works very hard. Uh, to make the show and uh you know we don't want to do it for free because that would be slavery and even though um you know santa claus you know in the norse tradition possibly has some slaves we don't do that around here uh the united states has also abolished slavery since 1972 so we're not doing that here also uh yeah after you wake up after having a good night's sleep a night so good it was scary probably going to want to feed yourself a nice breakfast. Folks, Factor Meals now has breakfast. Breakfast, I don't know if you know this, but it is literally the best meal of the day. It has the best assortments of food are all considered in the breakfast category. But you know what? Even if chicken parmesan is really your thing, you can get that at Factor. They have over 300 selections there. All prepared, curated by chefs. Uh, that will be delivered to your door. You can avoid the, the insanity of madness of driving around town and going around in the grocery store and you know, essentially being uh, mugged by the indifference and cruelty of others inside the grocery store. Um, and you could have these meals brought to your house. It's a little reverse trick-or-treating. Again, sorry to those of you who celebrate Orthodox Halloween, but it will be brought right to your door. And instead of the empty calories and promises of a fun night at the last day of October, every day you can have uh, your wishes fulfilled by having the meals that you already selected in the past, rewarding your current self. So go over there to to factory meals, use the offer code WOLFPACK50. That'll give you 50% off. That's a good way to start. The era of Bidenomics, the era of driving around in the forthcoming political year when we're going to see people revert back to some shade of insanity and fear. You're definitely going to want to stay away from all that. And if you can't move out to the middle of nowhere and live on the fucking moon like I do, you're definitely going to want the food brought right to your door. Folks, Factor Meals is going to make that happen. Go over to their website, check it out. I know a lot of people out there in the Wolfpack love Factor Meals. I love them too. 
Thank you, Factor, for supporting us. We look forward to working with you in the new year. We appreciate it all. Kendra, we're, tonight we're talking about, about one Robert Mormon, not to be confused with Mormons, but Robert Mormon was uh, an interesting <laughs> guy. And uh, I've listened to a couple podcasts on this, and they all, they all start with his childhood. So I'd like, to, I'd like to propose something. Okay. Let's work backwards from the last day of his life in perfect reverse order to explain what happened. So Robert Mormon died. <laughs> He's dead. He's spoiler dead now. Yeah, spoiler alert, he has passed away. But how did we get here, Kendra? Let's go back to the beginning and find out. <laughs> okay. Well, Robert Mormon is a man of humble beginnings, to say the least. Um, he was born in 1948 to a teen mom. She was 15 years old when she had Robert. She was an alcoholic and described as a prostitute, which <clears throat> as a 15-year-old, I, I don't want to, I hate describing her as a prostitute, but that's what she did. Seems mean. Yeah. Um, obviously, she had some issues and it was said that she drank while she was pregnant with Robert, which probably contributed to a lot of his issues. <laughs> um, but anyway, Robert was born and his father abandoned them. When Robert was two, his mother unfortunately passed away in a car accident. He was then given to his grandparents, but that didn't really last long either because his grandparents are alcoholics. So he was put into the foster care system. Robert was quickly adopted by Roberta and Henry Mormon. And Wait, these are, I, yes, <laughs> Roberta and Henry. Oh. Mormon. Oh. Yes, they changed his name <laughs> when they adopted him. I don't know what his name was when he was born. I could not find that. I really wanted no. to know. Because if it was something ridiculous, then maybe, I guess, it's kind of weird to change the name. We had this discussion by two earlier. Years old, but... By, by two, year old, two years old, they're probably used to being <clears throat> called that. I mean, you know, that's something yeah. you, you pick up on very early. I myself didn't really get it until I was almost 12, but I mean, like you do, you do get it at some point of what your name is. Right. Right. Well, they changed his name and they brought him home. Now, Henry and Roberta are a really well-liked couple in their neighborhood. Um, they have a lot of family in the area. They're friends with all their neighbors and people describe them as just really all around good people, but people didn't really take to Robert so well. They described him as like weird is like the best term that they could come up with for him. I suppose nothing really specific. He was just very off. Um, he didn't fit in with the other kids very well. We'll later find out he was, he's probably just a little um, slower to like catch on to social cues and things like that. When he was younger, he had some trouble as well as he got older. Uh, when he was 13, he, accidentally shot Roberta with a 22 caliber rifle. That happens. You know, you're, 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 just, you're just doing some regular gun work in the, in the bedroom and your mom's there and you, you blast her halfway to hell, you know? <laughs> yeah. It happens sometimes. I mean, I guess, but he also was said to do other crazy things. Like um, he set his house on fire at some point and all of these incidences um, we're just kind of brushed under the rug. 
by Roberta and Henry. And one concerning. Well, Go ahead. Back then, it was like you know, family stuff was very insulated. Mm -hmm. Like you, like you, you know, this is dirty laundry, right? Like the stuff that's going on with your kid. You know that he's a little screwed up. That he's setting fire to the house and shooting you. You know, these are definitely <laughs> shameful things that you don't you don't necessarily want to be, you know, going around the neighborhood. Like, you know, we're we're in an era, era in which a community is very much more of a front porch thing than it is a backyard thing, right? Like you're a part of a community and you're yeah. well known for things. And, and having having a child that's different, you know, is possibly sh shameful to them, which, you know, is a sh is a shame in and of itself that, you know, they're not raising him right or that there's something wrong with him or whatever so i can i can kind of understand where if they love him they want to keep him out of trouble but also if, if they love their their own self-image or their family unit or just staying out of trouble as as a family or as parents i can see why they would want to conceal that you know yeah and one of the podcasts that i listened to in preparation for this I do do my own research, by the way. I use podcasts to supplement. I just want to throw that out there. But well, well, we're the podcast that makes fun of other podcasts, right? We'll get to that in a little bit. But the, <laughs> the main thing that makes us different is Kendra's a, a real former police officer, which is a thing, and I, I am a nine one one dispatcher. It's it's so when when we're reviewing true crime cases, you know, if there's aspects that other podcasts get wrong because they don't understand the way investigations or criminal procedure work or they don't understand how other parts of things uh, happen like when a, when a 911 call comes in that's where we kind of that's kind of where we come in and we're able to talk about things with a little bit more authority and uh, call out the stupidity of other podcasts so that's what makes us different i'm interrupting kendra which is a bit of a tradition around here so keep going that's okay i enjoy our traditions even if they're some of them are very painful to me it's all right um, <laughs> one of these podcasts talks about how I think law enforcement went to their house, probably three separate occasions for his shenanigans, if you want to call them that. And mm. I think it's right to question why there wasn't some sort of action taken, but he's a juvenile. And like you said, back then, this was a family matter. And if, Re if Roberta and Henry are saying, no, it was an accident, maybe they told the police like he's a little slow it's an accident he doesn't know any better we got it handled there's really not much you're going to do as a law enforcement officer i don't even think they would do a report or any sort of notes or anything like that back then this is like the 60s so no um it's just very e different even, time. E even today that sort of thing goes on i mean i you know i'm getting calls from people who want the, the police to come out and talk to their son or their daughter who's on the Asperger spectrum or autistic or they have they have some other, you know, compelling thing that's holding them back or making them defiant or, you know, and, and there's family strife and they want the police to come out. Well, the police will come out and talk to it and kind of tamp down the situation. And when I look in their cases, it's just like no formal action taken. So it's it's mm -hmm. actually way more normal even today than you think police involvement and in sort of thing like with with fires like with shootings, like these are a step higher than, you know, merely just talking to people because we're talking about potentially felonies. But like a, a, a police officer's job is not to go and insert the authority of the state in every situation. That's what they have discretion for. Keep going, Kendra. Yeah. And um, just one more side note. When we keep we keep talking about the shooting and the fire, all I can think about is that scene from The Office when Dwight does his fire drill and Andy screams, the fire is shooting at us. That, that is makes a me laugh scene. a lot. <clears throat> yeah. 
Some of us don't <laughs> think The Office is infinitely rewatchable, but it was funny the first time. Whatever, John. Are we anyway. fighting now? <laughs> yeah, we're fighting. <laughs> we'll talk about this later. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll fight so, at our regularly appointed therapist session that we're all committed <laughs> to do. Yeah. Post-divorce, we still have to go to therapy. It's such bullshit. <laughs> Robert continues to do these weird things. Um, I think at one point it said that he... I don't remember if he was a juvenile when he did this, but there was an eight-year-old neighbor kid who he tied up in his house. And when he was confronted about it, he told law enforcement that they were playing cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians, I think. And again, it was just kind of brushed under the rug. Nowadays, I think we would probably see this as a warning sign. But Mm -hmm. another thing to note. Within within the context of everything else, yeah, we're, Mm -hmm. we're starting to get indicators here. Now they don't have the luxury of that we have of knowing all the facts and everything that is going to unfold. But still, well, I mean, that's one of the benefits of listening to this podcast is we'll talk about the entire thing. Right. So and, and they didn't do that. It's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if only they'd listened to our podcast, they would have known. <laughs> Just say well, we're one... about to have some great insight into their lives. That's all. I know. Another important thing to note is that Robert was very, very, very close to being what we would consider now as um, being intellectually disabled. His IQ was later. I'm bringing this up now because I'm about to get into something that it's pertinent to, I believe. Um, His IQ is 71. The threshold to be considered intellectually disabled is 70. There's a little bit of a buffer zone, 71 to 75, but that's the cutoff is 70. So Robert's mental state and his mind, he's hes very infantile is the way that they described it. And he's just not really quite with it as um, his peers would have been at that time or any time really. So at 24 years old, Robert does another kidnapping. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he goes to his neighbor. Um, his father in the meantime, between this, uh, next event and in his childhood, his father did pass away. And people said that Roberta really clung to Robert during this time. And they became really, really close. Um, this is something that I, Remind me later to bring this up because I don't want to confuse things, but this is kind of important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, <laughs> the neighbor that he goes to, his father used to hang out with the husband of the household. So the these people knew Robert pretty well. Yeah. He comes in and asks to use the phone. While he's inside, he's chatting with their daughter, who's eight years old. And the mother can hear him just like asking her a bunch of person, not personal, personal questions, but like asking her about school and when she comes home for lunch and what does she like to eat for lunch and just kind of weird. But she probably is used to Robert just being this way. She's been around him his whole life. Um, how, how old is he at this point? Like what's the age? Is he already a teenager, an adult? He's 24. Okay. He's a full blown adult. Yeah. He should not he's be a full blown adult. Correct. <clears throat> so she makes note of it, but doesn't really find it that suspicious. 
Um, sometime later, short while later, she's at home waiting for her daughter to come home from school, but her daughter never shows. She never returns from school. Obviously, she calls and reports her missing. Turns out Robert had kidnapped this eight-year-old girl. He'd, he'd taken his mother's car, kidnapped her while she was walking home from school, and was driving her out to Las Vegas. Now, we're, this takes place in Arizona, so Las Vegas is like a few hours. Mm -hmm. Well, it's probably farther than that. It was, we're in like Flagstaff, I believe, yeah. which is in the northern part of Arizona. Um, while he's driving to Las Vegas with this eight-year-old, he stops multiple times along the way and rapes her. Oh. So over the course of however long it takes them to get there, at some point he gets his car stuck or it breaks down or something like that. And they catch a ride from a couple who are going to Las Vegas. The couple notices that the situation's a little off. There's something weird going on. The eight-year-old's not really, um, she's not very talkative and Robert is Robert. You know, he's, it's very obvious that he's a little slower. And also the age difference is something that they note, which I think is really, I, I didn't even think about that, but I guess that's true. I mean, he's 24 with an eight-year-old. It's not very likely that, I mean, it could be his daughter, but he would have had to have been like 15. Yeah. yeah and something so, like that though, you're not, you're not going to look at it and, and easily discern that something is wrong though, you know? Right. Right. It could be a myriad of, of different types of situation. I don't know. But anyway, they notice that it's weird. And they notify law enforcement at some point and law enforcement comes and they arrest Robert for the kidnap. Mm -hmm. And he goes to prison. He's sentenced um, nine to nine years to life is his sentence. So he's in prison. And of course he is a model inmate. Of course he is. Yeah. Right now. Probably because he's in jail. He's in prison. So there's nothing for him to really get in trouble over. And he probably follows direction pretty well, I would think, if yeah. he's got that mindset. So it doesn't surprise me that he was a model inmate. Um, but because of his good behavior, he was granted parole. He was out on parole for a little bit. He, had a, he started a business. He had a girlfriend. His parole officer reported that Robert was starting to express... Uh, some rape fantasies or some sort of violent ide idealization about hurting women, essentially. And Not he's good. very, no, and he's very open about it, which I suppose is good for, for his parole officer because he basically recommends that he goes back into custody and that his parole is revoked. Yep. Um, I think he suggested that Robert be, uh, committed to a hospital just because of his IQ and every, like his developmental issues. Yeah. It's probably, he's probably not a good fit for, for prison. Also, if his IQ is low, uh, he's not going to do well in prison. Uh, the program right. I actually worked in, there was quite a few guys where, you know, when you have intellectual or learning disabilities or other, other problems like that, whether you're on the spectrum or you just have, uh, you know, even fetal alcohol syndrome, mm -hmm. you can't function in the world. And, you know, maybe you're maybe, you know, depending on who you are, you know, you can form a criminal intent or you can't. And some of these guys can and some can't. If they can't function in the world, they can't really function in prison either. Like these guys are they can't take care of themselves in prison, which you do have to be able to do. 
And so a lot of times these guys will get diverted to other programs. That was one such program I worked at where they repeat, there were people who have been charged with actually, you know, terrible crimes. One, one thing that's awful about having these kinds of disabilities and things that you're born with, whether it's fetal alcohol or whatever, is that you're still, you're still a sexual person, but you like, this is one, another aspect of yourself that you never, you can't control and you don't understand just like so much else with your life. But you have these, these feelings that are manifesting themselves in inappropriate ways. And you already probably have other self-control issues. And so guys of diminished capacity or diminished intellect will, will run into problems like this. And they, re they really just need supervision and care in a non, in a non-custodial sense. Like they don't, they don't need to be in prison. You know, they just need, they need better care than what their parents are, are, are providing. So it's very right. often that people who are kind of on the threshold will go to diversionary programs instead of prison. Right. And that's pro that was probably a good fit for Robert. Um, but that wasn't what happened. He was sent, he was sent, sent back to prison where he was for a while. Um, he was granted what they call compassionate furloughs. Uh, a furlough, if you don't know, is basically like time away from the prison. Like you can leave the prison. There's different reasons why, John, you would probably know that a little bit more than I would if you want to weigh in they, on that. They typically, they don't exist anymore for people who are of a certain custody status. Now, what's going on with Robert is that he's he's in prison for some serious charges, or at least his history is fairly serious. Like when now, when we have people in prison, we consider a lot of things about them. We consider their charges, but we also consider a lot of their past behavior when determining custody status, right? Because your custody status actually isn't has nothing really to do with your legal rights. It's just how closely are we supervising you? Someone with a history of kidnapping, someone with a history of molestation, rape, or some other sexually uh, sexually based crime they're generally not going to be on minimum security because if they get out and they do something, it's a bad look for the DOC. It's a liability issue. So I can't really explain why someone in, in Robert's situation is going to get a compassionate release. Typically the people who get these furloughs are on minimum security. I've talked about it before. They're the people who cook your steak at Applebee's or the people who have felony DUIs. And so they've got to go to, they've got to go to prison for a time. But they're not they're not really a threat to the community in the same way that somebody like Robert is. So compassionate releases are usually done for, you know, if your mom's in another state, and she's a failing health or there's a funeral. You could go to that or um, some other thing going on where you can just get kind of a compassionate break. And it usually depends on circumstances that are verified independently. In this case, though, I think they're giving a, a compassionate release to see his mother because she's mm -hmm. 74. I also think that it was part of the deal that that he he's almost released into her custody, right? So a lot of times on, for, if you're getting out of jail, you're released on your own recognizance. It used to be far more common, and I don't think it's a thing at all anymore, that you could be released to someone else's recognizance, that someone could come and get you out of jail, pay your bail, and part of that bail condition was is like, well, you're staying at his house and he's going to watch over you until your, your court date. And this would be a family member, a friend, or you know, a, a, someone who's working in the community or something, and they would they would temporarily take some level of custody over a person. And I think it's possible that Robert was actually released into the custody of, of his mother. I don't have paperwork or anything that backs that up. I just think that it's very likely that she came and got him. And the understanding was that he was going to stay with her throughout the entire 72 hour furlough. And at that time he would re-report to jail. Now, I know what you're thinking, like, why don't you just, you know, make a break for it or whatever? Well, obviously that happens even with minimum security or whatever, but 
uh, we'll sentence people to prison, right? They'll go to their sentencing and then we'll tell them like, you know, they don't, it's not like on law and order where they, they come and slap the cuffs on them and drag them away. And that's, that's the end of them. <laughs> they usually have like a dated time that they're supposed to surrender themselves. Very recently, mm -hmm. we had someone who had a warrant out for not, for not uh, appearing at their jail. They're not, they didn't show up for jail like they were supposed to. So they got a new <laughs> felony charge. And so a warrant was issued for their arrest for failure to report to jail. The bond on this was personal recognizance. So that makes no sense. There's The, the guy's what? supposed to be going to jail and he didn't show up. So a, a felony warrant was issued for his arrest. And the bond on this felony warrant for not going to jail is we're going to give you a court date. Show up for court about not going to jail. Like, like an ROR? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Even though, even though the whole what? point is that he's supposed to be going to jail. That doesn't make any sense. It literally is no. just like, hey, come get booked in and then you can leave again. Sometimes I, I sometimes I come across these anomalies where it's like we'll have a, a an out-of-state warrant or someone, a warrant for someone that's extraditable from a surrounding state. So it'll be in the state next door. And uh, so we want him held for extradition. Mm -hmm. The bond on it personal recognizance so we're gonna hold him in jail until we can bring him over here and then we're gonna let him go over here all right Doesn't, that seems why, like why why import a criminal when bet it would be better to have a warrant out for with some money but it's not extraditable right like now if you have a warrant in your state and if you get caught in this state you're going to jail or paying 200 dollars or both that's disincentive to ever come back. It's almost like being exiled, right. right? Like, just don't ever go back to that state again and you're good. Instead, we say, we will yeah. bring you from another state and then you are a criminal and then we will let you free back into our community. Folks, it actually works this way sometimes. I don't know why. Uh, there, there was one once where uh, someone had a, a warrant and uh, the bond on it was personal cognizance. Like, so, okay, so we're going to arrest you. We're going to give you, we're going to book you and give you a court date. And then uh, they also had the option on the warrant to exercise their power of attorney, which is what you do when, like, you just want to pay your fine on a speeding ticket instead of going to court, right? You exercise your power of attorney. You say, like, I'm pleading guilty to this, and I'll pay the fine. Well, on this warrant, it's personal recognizance. So there is no fine. They used their power of attorney to just get out of it. So, like, because the clerk or the judge was confused, like, this person was charged with a crime, and then they just said, okay, and that was the end of that. So... Stuff like this happens in government, folks. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, things get. It's not. It doesn't happen as often as it used to, but like clerical errors and stuff still yeah. happen to where it's like, wait a minute, that's not what. That is not correct, or it's entered incorrectly, or, or something, yeah. and people I get I, released for stuff that they shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. I didn't. Uh, I didn't give you PTSD there of some stupid event from your past, did I? By any chance? Um. No. Okay, that's good. I just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm glad that all the stupid stuff is happening to me and not to anyone else. So, <laughs> I'm glad so he that's get, the he case gets too. A, he gets a compassionate furlough for 72 hours. He, he's, you know, he's released to, into the custody of his his mom. Yes. And he's going to be reordered to report in 72 hours. That's the general idea. Usually, they will tell him the reason and where they're going and and things like that. And typically, um, well, typically they his mother visited him three times with these furloughs they would go to a hotel that was di basically directly across from the the prison and if anybody has been near a prison or even a jail you know there's hotels um and gas stations and they're not 
the greatest, usually. Any motel that's right across the street is specifically there for the furloughs, those furloughs being granted, or the investment of marital bliss? Conjugal visits. Conjugal visits. I mean. Yes. There, just a real quick personal story. Um, Please tell me this is about a different subject. When... (laughs) In the place that I used to work, um, the jail and a lot of the operational um, stuff through the sheriff's office was pretty much in the same place in the middle of nowhere. And one of the operational offices that was out of there was where sex offenders would have to go check in. Well, a lot of them were, because they're sex offenders and sex predators, they don't really have a lot of work opportunities or they just don't work. And somebody, a a very upstanding citizen, purchased an old hotel that's across the highway from this place. And only she she rents out rooms to sex offenders so that they can just walk across the street and they don't violate. And there's a lot of controversy about that because it was split down the middle where it was like, why would you... Uh, lend a helping hand to these perverts and the other side of it was well at least they're able to be held accountable and everybody knows where they're at so but it was a little weird in that i just thought that that was strange so i just wanted to add that but that's the type of places that are around jails and and things like prisons mostly but yeah (laughs) it's it's strange but it's also like on its face a money-making opportunity like there's there's a, a demand in the free market for this service to exist. And you can say whatever you want about its impact on the community or the morality of it all or whatever, but it's like, it's a business opportunity for someone to make some money. It's the reason why it's there. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess it's, and, it's, 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 you know, I would, I would say have a good relationship with that person. Like you said, like they, we know where they're at and they could be held accountable. It's like, if, if you, if, if you have a really good relationship with the, the person who's running the business, which I think is implied here, you know, and, and something's going wrong, you know, you could call down and call this uh, hotel or motel owner or whatever this establishment is. And they could just be like straightforward with you like, yeah, Jim Stevens is totally here. If you want to come pick him up, he's in room eight. You know, I'll give you a key. And that, that makes yeah. things a lot easier versus trying to find him versus reasonable suspicion about where he's at. You know, you just you have someone who wants to do business well with the cops and right. it, can, it can go well. I tend to agree. I think it, it was probably a good idea. At least everybody knows where they're at. Yeah, that's fair. But anyway, um, these visits, these furloughs where Roberta would come and, and take Robert into her custody, they would go across the street to a hotel called the Blue Mist Motel, I suppose. <laughs> they did this a couple of times. Um, on, but on the third visit, uh, that would unfortunately be Roberta's last because Robert murders her and dismembers her while he's <laughs> staying in the hotel with her. And I'm not laughing because it's funny. It's just I'm laughing at the way you, you did that without establishing any suspense at all or whatever. Folks, well, I'm going to explain. <laughs> I mean... We thank you for tuning in for this express version of True Crime Tuesday. Uh, Kendra, do you have any favorite Christmas recipes or like anything we can fill up the rest of the time? All right, John. 
there's really no buildup. It just kind of happens. And that's the, that's like the mystery of this case because there's really no uh, direct motive that could be found for her murder. It was kind of just out of the blue like that. Um, well, so, but the timeline of events of that evening are lots of plenty of suspicious things happen though. Yes. I have, I have my case facts right here. I have a list of them. I'm going to go through. You got to trust me john i know what i'm doing a little bit you are a professional true crime not as much as you apparently but <laughs> so rob what happens is <laughs> january 12th is the first day of their visit um robert is seen buying a couple of things from a store nearby two knives murder kit murder kit a yeah. murder kit essentially you could get those bundled now. They'll usually be on a, on a front end cap at Ace. You know, you could just go in and get those They're right by the checkout lanes. Yeah, the BTK kit. Mm -hmm. That's the brand. Anyway, that's a callback because he used to have these murder kits anyway. <laughs> hit kit is what he called it. Yes. Well, so jo uh, John, you're not John, Robert <laughs> was seen purchasing Jesus these there. items. <laughs> the next morning, January the 13th, the um, front desk uh, clerk is approached by Robert and Robert is telling her that his mother is sick and not to send housekeeping because they don't want to be disturbed. But by the way, can I get some disinfectant? <laughs> and she says, all right. <laughs> she did make a note that he smelled very badly mm -hmm. and he left towels outside the room that smelled horrible she didn't I don't really know go into detail this, but... i'm not i'm not a medical doctor but i'll tell you right now what is inside a human being smells very terrible <laughs> and if you get yes. if you bring it out if you bring it outside smoke comes out too yeah keep your insides on the inside people keep it inside keep it inside it's private along with all of your negative emotions stuff them down private smells <laughs> anyway <laughs> the same day robert um he approaches a couple of different people one of them being um, an owner of a pizza joint that he actually became friends with and he's asking this guy and a couple of other business owners if he can throw away some cow guts oh right he's got that yeah i mean Garbage bags of cow guts. <laughs> I've got some of those. Yeah, I've got cow guts. I got some 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 hog, you know, stuff. I just have these things. You know, I'm I'm at, just fresh out of prison. It's less than three days, and I've I've come by uh, cow guts in, in huge amounts. So, you know, it's funny how life works. It's funny how death works. Well, the <laughs> the story is that the story that Robert gives is that Roberta bought meat for them to cook. Oh, nice. And it would. It went bad. And that's what oh, these no. cow, cow guts were. That's too bad about that motel meat that it went bad. I know. I hate it when that happens. How the hell do you even well, cook he's... meat in a motel? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, so, it's obviously it's obviously a lie, so I don't know why we're entertaining it. That's something the other podcast did. When they, when they sit there and break down, they're like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm like, well, yes, it's a lie. Of course it doesn't I, make sense. It's a lie. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, so I'm doing it here, so I'm the ultimate hypocrite. But I mean, I mean, as you just you have to put yourself in the shoes of the people he's talking to, right? He, where he's in a motel, I'm like, hey, you know, my mom's sick, gonna get some disinfectant. Also, like, do you know how I could get rid of like 150 pounds of meat? You know, it's just it, these things, you know, they add up to something. And and Robert's not aware of that. Like, he's not aware that all the things that he's telling people that, that people could put things together better than he can. He he thinks every yes. lie he tells us is discreet from all the rest. And they don't tell a broader story every time he's interacting with someone. Now, and whether or not that's because of his intellectual disability, uh, that probably ha- probably has a lot to do with it. Um, but yeah, he doesn't understand that people have other people have like deductive reasoning and he doesn't get that. That doesn't make any sense. He just thinks, okay, well I made up a lie and this is going to work. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously the people he's approaching about disposing of this cow meat, they don't really buy it. They're a little suspicious. So they den- they say, no, you can't do that. <laughs> Thank God. Another suspicious thing that happened was um, Roberta's friend came by the hotel because I guess she had a suitcase or something that Roberta requested she bring. Which is kind of odd to me because she's only there for three days. But anyway, she brings this suitcase by. Robert answers the door and the friend is like, oh, is your mom around? And he says, no, she's out doing something right now. She's like, oh, okay. Well, tell her I said, hi, here's her suitcase. The friend noted that when she looked beyond Robert, you know, when someone answers the door, you kind of glance behind them. It's just instinct. She noticed mm-hmm. that Roberta's purse, purse was still in the room. So that struck her as a little odd. But again... Probably still there, right? Like, most ladies don't leave without their purse. Yeah. Especially if you're going to go run errands. I mean, you need your wallet. You need whatever. Yeah. That makes sense. So that was a little weird, but again... Nobody really raised any real suspicion. They just kind of were like, okay, Robert, whatever. Um, on, on January 14th, so this is, this started on the 12th, and now we're at the 14th, two days later. He calls up the prison and talks to a lieutenant that he knows from the prison. He says, hey, LT, I've got this box of bones, uh, cow bones, um, from some spoiled meat that my mom bought. And I just thought you'd want them for the dogs that work at the prison. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. So the lieutenant gets the bones. And essentially, um, it's suspicious, obviously. So he contacts law enforcement. And they come out and they determine that these bones are not cow bones. But in fact, they are human bones. Oh, shit. They made that determination right away. (laughs) Apparently. So it... They probably had like a human hip, which is really, or like a skull, which is really recognizable as being human. It's very, yeah. A a friend of mine once was like on the beach and she came across this bone. And instead of reporting it to law enforcement or doing the socially responsible thing, she collected it and put it on her porch for a while. And then she she told everyone about it. And then uh, like it turns out there was someone uh, missing off of a boating accident near very nearby her. And I kept telling her, like, you got to take that bone to the cops. And she goes like, this is my bone now. I keep the bone. And one time I went to lunch with her and she brought the bone with her in like a Ziploc bag. And it was very obviously a human like arm bone. So I wrote human bone on the bag. And I think she still is in possession of human remains to this day. So some people are very cavalier about human bones. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, know, I do right? I I don't have the money to collect oddities. One day I will. They're very expensive if you get real mm-hmm. ones. And um 
acquiring human bones ethically uh, is, first of all, a very long process and also very expensive. So, no, you could just pick them up off the beach. I was going to say, if you're into collecting human bones and you find the opportunity to just have one, I mean, I don't know. What, whenever you would confront her about her obviously like amoral and illegal behavior, she goes, it's probably just a pig bone. And then, and then the you're beach. like, yeah, on the beach. Right. And it's like, you know, uh, she's in denial. <laughs> well, I think it like, I think when she found it, it had like a wristwatch on it or something. I don't know. No, stop. No, okay. That part's not true. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, <laughs> this box of human bones prompts law enforcement to obviously write a warrant for Robert and also search warrant for the hotel room. They go and arrest him, and he essentially immediately confesses to killing his mother. Upon searching the hotel room, investigators locate uh, fingers in the toilet. Let's see. They also find... Uh, They find... With this being a motel, can we be sure that they were not there before? I know. (laughs) I've been to a few motels, and man, oh man. I mean, Robert's girlfriend that he had when he was out on parole said that he would often say he had ties to the mafia. So it's eh, who knows. Could be. Could be <laughs> that they were chopping spinach in the motel and like the fingers just got cut off. That sort of thing happens, too. There's always a plausible explanation. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, probably not much of, of a good explanation for her feet and hands that were also found inside the hotel room. Uh I'm struggling to come up with like a really good plausible legal explanation for hands and feet. Yeah, there's not really a good one for that. Investigators will eventually find the rest of Roberta's remains in a dumpster near the hotel's property. Um, Oh, man. Yeah. So the case facts, I read some of the court documents. The case facts say that... um, The night that he murdered his mother, he bound and gagged her. He beat her, stabbed her, and suffocated her. He then dismembered her body. Um, The medical examiner said that he did this very meticulously, and it it probably would have taken him between two to two and a half hours to complete this. I was going to say, that's pretty quick work. I don't know. I don't, I can't, I can only imagine, but I, I. I'm very bad at, like, say, carving a turkey. Like, I have pushed Christmas into the 25th before trying to get that thing properly carved. <laughs> you know, it's not easy to do, especially on a person. I know I know, carving up a person probably has fewer rules. Like, you just really just, you know, do it however you want to do it because there's no presentation later. But Well, he was very um, surgical with it, apparently. And this was brought up in one of the podcasts, and they were very um, perplexed by this. I'm not because uh, Robert grew up hunting. And I also grew up hunting and I've broken down a couple of deer before. And once you get the hang of it, it really doesn't take that long to dismember, especially if you have the right tools. Now deer is is less daunting than a human when it comes to that. I guess it depends on how big the deer is, but I don't think that it's too far off that Robert would know how to do this and get it done pretty efficiently. Mm. So, Along with chopping off her hands and feet, he also uh, decapitated her. 
Yeah. See, that's gotta be that's gotta be that's gotta be the the one I mean all of it's horrible, but that's gotta be like the one part where like you really are stepping back from anything resembling a human being. If you can if you can do that to like the, the person who raised you. It's very it's a very personal murder, if that makes yeah. sense. He's real up in up in her business. Like it's not like he shot her while he did shoot her. Um <laughs> at some point. It's not like he murdered her with a firearm and then just like dumped her body somewhere. He took his time mm-hmm. with her corpse and he 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 passed, like you said, he passed the point of being like, oh, crap, what did I do? Yeah. He was Pick, there for a looking while. Looking up ahead, looking at the face, you know, like to me, that's right. just like, no, you're you're beyond the pale. Like and we, and we we also can't have any discussion. I know you'll get to this shortly, but we can't have any discussion about whether or not you knew what you were doing. I know. And that's kind of, yeah. So investigators find all this, they, they find the rest of her, um, you know, just completely cut up and, and disperse in different places, like the dumpster, the sewer, in the hotel room, et cetera, and so on. Medical examiner uh, was able to find marks that kind of corroborated the story that she was bound and gagged. Um, She did have stab wounds. There were no defensive wounds that the medical examiner noted or could find. I don't know if that has anything to do with the fact that she, I mean, she was dismembered and her fingers were, her fingers and her hands were separated from each other. And then also from her body. I mean, medical examiners know obviously what they're doing and they can find some crazy things are very, very um, good at what they do, but who knows? Um, also, if he beat her, it's possible that she was unconscious and he just, you know, well, also she was tied. So that's probably more what it was <laughs> now that I think about it. But um, during the trial, Robert uses the excuse that he was uh, in an incestuous relationship with his adopted oh. mother. And the night of the murder, his story is that he was forced to com- to perform sex acts on her. And she was making noises. So he put a pillow over her face so he wouldn't hear it anymore. And he accidentally suffocated her to death. She is um, 74. Mm-hmm. She's 74. And this... Um, this is kind of plays into the insanity plea where he didn't really realize his lawyers were trying to say, like he didn't realize it in the moment that he killed her and it was an accident and he's intellectually disabled. So he didn't know to call to contact law enforcement or whatever. But we kind of talked about this before to me, if you're going to the effort of disposing of your crimes to the point where dismembering somebody, you know, what you did was wrong. And lying to everyone all over town about it. And lying over the course of several days. This wasn't like an oh crap in the moment. I accidentally killed my mom. What do I do? And he panicked. This is just not what what occurred. Um, several psychologists will take the stand to talk about Robert's mental state. And none of them agree that he was beyond comprehension of his crimes. None of them agree that he was even mentally incompetent. Only one said that he does agree that there was some sort of incestual relationship going on between Roberta and Robert. And this man was 
um, Robert's psychologist who actually diagnosed him with some other issues when he was a teenager. So he'd known Robert for a while and he corroborated the inc the incest allegation. So no one really knows. Well, there would be some, That's the story. There would be some kind of there would be some kind of other proof of that though. Like you would be able to read the letters the two had exchanged in prison and you would probably get indications like that. To be honest with you, I would be reading those letters and I would be getting pictures from family. Mm -hmm. And I got creepy vibes from a lot of family members from cousins from little sisters you know it would be some someone who's their family you know they would send a they i would find a letter that's ostensibly from a sister and it's totally normal it's it's everything that's going on with the family and then the photo enclosed it's like a little too sexy you know it's yeah. like very bothersome so like and and he doesn't have a right to privacy of his mail or or any of his personal effects in prison so i imagine that you know, that's something that, you know, maybe they should have been looking into more proactively reading his mail or certainly after the fact as the criminal issue goes on that, that you can fi find out a lot from people's personal correspondence and the effects that they have in prison. Speaking of, um, when this, the investigators were doing their investigation and their war and their searches and everything, they did search his cell and inside the cell, they didn't know anything about what you were talking about, which like you said, they probably they probably should have been more proactive, not law enforcement, but the, the prison should have been a little more proactive. But this is 1984 when this happened, and I don't know how well they ran things back then. But the investigators found some forged documents that would have given Roberta's estate to Robert. And this was really the only motive that we could kind of scrounge from this. Other than if there was an incestuous relationship, he snapped. I don't really necessarily believe that, but who knows? The thing, the um, thing is, if it's really about money, then, you know, Robert's actually pretty well put together in terms of, you know, understanding the tangible benefits of his mother's death. The, the parts mm -hmm. that don't make sense are she's 74, you know, just wait a couple of years. The cold, slow hand of time is going to hand you that money. Um, the method by which he plans to murder and dispose of her body. At one point, he tells uh, police officers that are there, uh, you know, that she's missing that she was supposed to be back already, mm -hmm. that she hasn't taken her, her medications or whatever it would, if, if he had decided to, you know, discreetly take her body out in the car and dump it somewhere or whatever, or, or drive her somewhere and kill her elsewhere. These things would not necessarily point to him as directly as having a whole motel room full of forensic evidence that directly and inextricably, inextricably leaks him to her murder. So it's just, uh, you know, it shows that he's able to do some planning, but I guess at, at IQ 71, he's just really not very good at it. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think he has just enough to where he can plan, but not to where he can execute very well or pick up on stuff that a normal person, I say normal, but you know what I mean, would mm -hmm. would prepare for or deduce what happened, like the results. He's, he clearly can't um, look into the future very far, Yeah, you know. Difficulty at planning is something that, that the folks who, who struggle with intellectual disabilities, that's something that they have a very hard time with. They can't, they'll, they'll have very lofty goals of, I'm going to live in an apartment on my own. I'm going to have this, I'm going to have that. And it's just like, well, how do you get there from here? Like, what's the first mm -hmm. step? And he goes, I don't know. I'm like, well, what about getting a job? Would getting a job be helpful? Yeah. I'm like, so, you know, you've had a couple of jobs and you didn't, you didn't keep them. And why is it? And he goes, well, I don't like working. And it's just like, well, 
you know, you, you don't really have the ability to make that intricate long-term plan. He wants the money that he can inherit from his, his, his adopted mother, but there's no full blown plan between now and not having it and what he has to do to get there and get away with it. He thinks he can, he could tell a couple, you know, you know, lies to people saying my mom is sick. She's missing. I have, I have all these cow guts, which by the way, he ended up telling someone <laughs> that he flushed down the toilet, which mm -hmm. makes no sense uh, because he needed it. He, Cause that was a part of a, a part of the story that he was attached to it. And now it no longer helped him. So it's just like, Oh, they're gone now. You know, that's not a thing. That's not a, no longer a part of the story. Yep. You know, so he, yep. he's, he's, he's one, one of the podcasts I listened to, they're just like, you know, this was actually kind of a, a meaner or insensitive take or just a wrong take, but they're like, you know, do, do people have diminished intelligence? Do they often lie? And it's just like, first of all, people of all intelligence levels lie. Like the, the smartest people among us lie. They're just, they get away with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but people that are, that are predisposed towards telling uh, a very grandiose lies, like I have ties to the mafia and things like that. It's people with self, low self-esteem, you know, people that are trying to make make something bigger out of themselves or more of themselves. You know, tell he at one point he told his girlfriend he had ties to the mafia. That's something to make him seem like a bigger, better dude. It's something that, you know, uh, last week on the show, you know, the, the the when the kids were talking, you know, big stuff about being being vampires. You know, they're obviously lying about being vampires because vampires aren't real, but it makes them feel big and it makes them feel bad, you know, and. And people with right. low self-esteem and self-image problems will do that regardless of intelligence. But mm -hmm. also just criminals, people with criminal intent are just uh, the difference between lies and, and truth doesn't matter. And they're so used to lying, they lie all the time. One of the hallmarks of narcissism is grandiosity. And the reason why narcissists are so um, self-centric is because they, deep down, the reason why is because they're actually very insecure. Um, mm -hmm narcissism can stem from uh it's the way it was explained to me is that and i'm not a psychologist <laughs> but it's something that is learned through not having needs met as an infant and as a young child you turn sounds, inward sounds right and it and it comes from insecurity when you're a child and your needs aren't being met you're insecure you're not safe mm -hmm. and you grow up very self-centric and there comes a point where you can't reverse it anymore yeah, but I'm actually I'm actually the only I'm the only I'm the world's only selfless narcissist. I've been I've been I've been praised many times for my my selfless behavior. And I'm also mm -hmm. you talked about how like they don't they have this sense of grandiosity. I've known a lot of narcissists who, who make grandiose claims. None of them live up to that. I think I'm mm -hmm. the only narcissist I know and possibly the only one that does land live up to those grandiose claims. So I'm kind of a special narcissist in that way. You're very meta, John. <laughs> appreciate that <laughs> a lot. very thoroughly meta right because i am uh I'm trash you know but anyway <laughs> okay um back to robert things, well um while we're posing as psychiatrists and psychologists i just wanted to bring up that note earlier that i told you to remind me of but i don't need you to because i remember now uh, remember the note what, <laughs> Thank you. One of the things that about the incest, right? Uh, Roberta's husband passed away when Robert was a teenager. And there is a, there is such a thing as emotional incest where a parent will attach to a child because their spouse isn't meeting their needs as a spouse. And they'll re they'll redirect those affections to 
their child or a sibling or um, whoever else is involved in the family. And when your spouse dies and not everybody, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking if the incest thing is, is legitimate, I really feel like that's probably a, a driving factor in it. And maybe Robert in some way, shape or form could pick up on that emotional relationship that wasn't normal for mother and son. And perhaps in his own mind, he was in a relationship with his mother. I don't know, obviously. And uh, there's also other factors of being adopted that I know. I know people who are adopted and they struggle with some identity issues over that, or they did at least, and they've worked through it since then. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that come into play with this. And I do think that Personally, unless we have evidence to state that there was an incestual relationship, I don't think that that should be a real factor in this, if that makes sense, because there wasn't any real. That's quite a claim to put on a woman who's dead and you know, can't defend in herself. In a legal sense, it, it, uh, it really doesn't matter. It's sort of immaterial it as to whether matter. or not he's, he's guilty. No. And and when he, when he went to court, uh, he, he pled you know not guilty by mental disease or defect, which is an affirmative defense, which means essentially you said you cop to it. You say, yes, this happened, mm-hmm. but I'm not guilty because of my state of mind in the moment or I'm completely not able to form criminal intent. Um, what, one of the things that he I think he said on appeal was that he made some comment about how the state didn't prove he was insane. And the judge is like, well, that's your job, buddy. Like the state's job is to prove right. you killed it, that you killed her. And then and if you're saying if you're if you're using the affirmative defense of I'm not guilty because I'm insane or diminished capacity, that's up to you. That's why it's called an affirmative defense is because you're going uh, on the defense. You're going out there and you're you're trying to make a claim for yourself. Right. The burden of proof now shifts to you off of the state because yes. the state's proved it by you saying I'm, I'm guilty but 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 not responsible now it's on to you so he, he that's essentially what he did and at no point does the incestuous part of it really matter in terms of his criminal culpability because we have forensic evidence we have the blood we have the body we have his admission we have all mm-hmm. these other, other facts so the motive of it doesn't actually matter when you watch tv and you watch movies they'll say you have to prove three things to win this case means motive and opportunity it's like the why of it is compelling to a juror and if you know the why it helps you tell the story to a jury and helps convince them they could see well robert was going to his motive was the money and he was going to uh, benefit financially from the murder of his mother so that makes sense right or if you could say the motive was is that he he didn't like having sex with his mother and he snapped in in a fit of you know oedipal rage or whatever or whatever you want to call it those things are helpful in informing a jury of what actually happened or, or, or the mindset or whatever. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what his relationship was, was with his mom. So the only, the only reason it would maybe come up is that if you wanted to call that a mitigating circumstance, once it gets to the sentencing phase, you could say, well, you know, rather than seeking the death penalty for Robert, I would like to talk about a couple of things. You know, he was, he right. was in a mixed up relationship with his mom. He was uh, he had diminished capacity from the start because of the relationship he had with his biological mother and her passing away and her dad being absent and the grandparents not raising him well. He, he's always you know, he, he has had a hard luck story. And then and, you know, then he gets adopted by this mother who's sexually abusing him. It is sexual abuse. if that's what the relationship is. And, and, and that thing played into Robert eventually, you know, getting to the point where he murdered her. That's something that a judge or a jury could look at and say, well. You know, that's a mitigating factor, and, and maybe that's a reason why mm-hmm. we should spare his life. But it ha- has right. nothing to do with the, with, the, with the actual guilt or innocence phase, just the penalty phase. Yeah, when it 
I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the motive and the why and the speculation is also really um, fun for a true crime podcast in the court of law. It really doesn't matter. All the state has to do is prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the crime was committed. It doesn't matter if there's a, a motive that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like you said, a mitigating factor or an aggravating factor would be something that the judge can consider in sentencing, but it doesn't have anything to do with whether the crime was committed or not, whether someone's guilty or not guilty. And in Robert's case, he was up for the death penalty. So I'm sure his attorneys used, like you said, those things as mitigating factors, which if somebody doesn't know, a mitigating factor is essentially a a piece of a crime, like the incestual relationship, for instance, that basically says like, yes, he did it, but he, this is kind of the reason why can we go easy on him? You know what I mean? Trying to appeal to the emotions of the jury um, and maybe sway the sentencing one way or the other. Aggravating circumstances would of course be if the state brought an aggravating circumstance to recommend a higher sentence or a harsher punishment or whatever, like, you know, in a sexual assault case, whether there was a firearm involved, that's an aggravating factor. Right. So that's what that is anyway. Um, yeah. it's, it's like saying you stole this bread, you stole it, mm-hmm. but in terms of your punishment, like we understand you were starving, so we're going to take it easy on you. You know, it's still illegal Correct. to steal bread, but we understand you were hungry. That's a mitigating factor. Yes, exactly. Of course, well, what, what I hate about, what I hate about, uh, try to judge what's in a person's heart. You know, we're talking about whether or not he has this incestuous relationship. If I could divert briefly, I really hate, sure. hate crime legislation because, uh, if you, if you, try to convict someone of a hate crime you're convicting them for what they think or believe in their heart whether or not they dislike a certain class of people or whatever if they if they don't like someone because they're in a wheelchair if they don't like them because they're the wrong color or the other persuasion that they don't they don't agree with or some life choice or whatever i don't understand uh having that as being an enhanced charge for them because they have hate in their heart it's like the, the the freedom of this country means that you're free to hate whoever you want it makes you a piece of shit and it makes you a person who's not my friend but when we say we're, we're going to charge you with this crime because it was hate-based, you now you're criminalizing someone's thoughts. You're criminalizing someone's beliefs, and I think that's outside the government's purview. I just wanted to get on a soapbox for a little bit. Hopefully, this is a good reel. I agree 110%. And people will take that and say, oh, well, you're okay with racism? You're okay with bigotry? No. If someone commits a crime, again, the motive isn't really factored in. Did they commit the crime? Yes or no. Criminalizing somebody, like you said, because of a belief, whether it's shitty or not, um, that is a freedom that we have in America. You can be a shit person. You can't commit Mm -hmm. crimes, but you can be a shitty person. So why are we criminalizing someone's freedom? Because that's a very slippery slope. (laughs) It is. Being a shitty person is actually the only kind of behavior that needs protection. Like if you're a really great person, you don't need the protection of the law to like cover your beliefs that like everyone should live in harmony and peace and be a friend of the earth. That's how you, what you believe. You don't need that protection. But if you happen to believe a whole bunch of racist and terrible things, uh, you need the protection of the law so that you can live that way if you want to live that way. How do we deal with that as a society? We mock them. 
We do not be their friends. We do not take them seriously. If they have a thought or an opinion, you could be like, well, Dave's a racist. So I guess I don't yeah. care what he thinks about this. Uh, mockery is the number one way that you deal with it. You don't put it in a criminal code and say it's it's especially illegal to to harm a black person if you hate black people. That's It, it diminishes all people to say that there's certain certain classes of people that have more protection than others it's completely against the 14th amendment which says uh, equal protection under the law for all and yet we have hate crime legislation many of which is passed by republicans and democrats alike and it has just always bothered me and i don't know why i'm talking about that in this case but i i get to say what i want (laughs) at least at least until uh the power brokers that are behind our society and our government turn me off so until that day (laughs) well it's um it, it, Go ahead. It's reminiscent of um, 1984, the book. Yeah. Because everything you couldn't, I don't. I know you've read it, or I'm assuming you've read it. And um, Brave New World. Yeah. So in that dystopian world, people were punished and even uh, put to death for opinions and thoughts and things that don't. You can think whatever you want. It's your actions that become criminal or not. And if you if you commit a criminal act, you should be punished. Period. Yeah, for the act, right? So for if the you act. hurt somebody because you because you hate them for your race, you should be charged with assault. It's mm-hmm. just assault. It's, it's not it's not some sort of enhanced charge. But politicians like to go out there and say, "Hey, I'm standing up for you, you class of people. You vote for me. I made it. I made it extra illegal for someone to assault you when." It's just assault. Yeah, vote for me. They don't actually Uh, care about the person being assaulted. They just want that. They want to placate and make themselves appear more moral. Yeah, like when Joe Biden outlawed lynching. Did you know that murder was actually already illegal prior to that? But he made lynching illegal. It's like like it is illegal for you to hang someone, but it's already illegal. What? That's like saying it's now illegal to stab someone to death. Like, yeah, yeah, it already was, you idiot. Yeah, the, the anyway. mode doesn't matter. <laughs> but, it, but it's political grandstanding. And I don't, yeah, again, we're pretty far afield from what we normally talk yeah. about. But it's normal failure to stop stuff. And I always, I always like how, I like when I'm able to take a strong take and I kind of get backed up by you because that's like the ultimate justifier that like I have perfect beliefs. That I'm ba- backing you up. That's a compliment. Is that a compliment? <laughs> Taking it as one. <laughs> Uh, well, what it means is that you have a good head on your shoulders and I possibly do too. Um, or that we're just in a big group think echo chamber where no one challenges us. I mean, that's possible. I think Roberta did too until she was decapitated. Anyway, um, the jury (laughs) (laughs) she had a good head on her shoulders until she didn't anymore. Thanks Robert. (laughs) The jury luckily did not buy any of the bullshit they did not consider any of the mitigating factors and Robert was found guilty and sentenced to uh, be executed by way of lethal injection. Yeah. And this was at a, this was at a time when lethal injection, uh, it's still very controversial, but uh, Mm -hmm. they were, I remember at that time they were having trouble getting lethal injections done because they couldn't come across the chemicals uh, to do that. Like at one point, like uh, the state had some chemicals on hand to execute them with. But then they looked on the label and it was expired. And you're like, well, this is dangerous. We obviously don't want to use expired death chemicals, you know. Um, they might die. Well, I mean, I mean, the truth is, is that they might not. Like, you might just give right. them, like, incredible pain or, like, Correct. something survivable, which is, like, you know, 
morally and legally reprehensible, you know, if you're if you have a failed execution. But ironically, the reason for that was if you ever wondered why we have trouble getting executions done and why some states are resorting to things like hanging and firing squads again, is because so ironically, certain companies don't want to be associated with negative products like Pfizer. Pfizer does not want to make a product that is controversial or could possibly lead to your death. I mean, it's just like- amazing the way that it's amazing the way that things change. You know, they don't they don't want to they don't want to make uh, a chemical used in uh, capital punishment, which 50 ish percent of the country doesn't agree with. And and so they, d- they don't want to be the, the death company. It's not Johnson and Johnson. They make the baby shampoo that you don't cry. And they also make this thing. Uh, to kill people with, you know, like it's, it's brand management, you know, they also give women cervical cancer, but that's fine. Um, if this episode was going to get monetized, it's not anymore. And we're not helping no, our uh, uh, visibility right now. It's fine. Right right now. YouTube is, is, is murdering us. Case in point. I put out a reel for the sports <laughs> show. I put out a reel for the sports show and, uh, yeah. I got 500 views on my personal Instagram. I have about 500 Instagram followers, so which is less than a dog. And so I got 500 views, which means quite a few people who are my followers saw it, quite a few people who are not my followers saw it. On YouTube, we are so close to 8,000 subscribers, right? So 8,000 is a lot more than 500. That same reel got 49 views on YouTube. So it should have been, even if, if the reel was good or bad, like the the viewership of it, if the algorithm was working the same on both platforms, those numbers should have been proportionate to the number of followers I have. So right. if I have 500 on Instagram, I should have had 49 views on Instagram. And I should have had 500 viewers on our platform on YouTube where we have 8,000 followers. So YouTube is for sure getting us right now. Uh, if you're seeing this, this is some small miracle. Uh, today, I, I didn't get I didn't get any, you know, notifications that show was even happening uh right now yeah. youtube is is really clamping down on us possibly as we go into the season uh, the political season possibly as we have had certain people on the, our youtube channel uh that uh people who control the strings don't like whether that's uh u.s senate candidate jonathan emord or uh various other people or the fact that you know you and i come on the show and we talk about sexual assaults and we use the r word like youtube knows what we're saying and if you say that word like you know you get you get throttled and you know maybe maybe you and i should start covering true crime cases but like civil stuff like maybe that would be uh less threatening to our youtube presence where we could just like yeah steve backed his car to his mom's cadillac and now they're fighting about it you know like we could do a true true civil instead that might be uh that might be good we could do the main remember the dream i told you i had about the port the patio furniture and then i was sentenced to death Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we could do stuff like that. (laughs) We could, Uh, folks. If you have an interesting civil case, go ahead and send it to True Crime Drama. Uh, She she will take a look at it at gmail.com, and she will pass on it because we don't do civil stuff here. It's a civil issue, as um, as both police officers and dispatchers are fond of saying, as we kick the ball away. It's it's a civil issue. It's not an issue for law enforcement. Uh, We'll we won't be doing civil stuff here. So. Real quick, um, Robert was sentenced to death and was executed on February, uh, hilariously, February 29th, 2012. So he was executed on a day that only exists once every five years, which I think is fucking hilarious. So he's only been dead for like two years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Technically, yeah, yeah. Technically, yeah. I knew a guy that had his birthday on February 29th. I'm like, how old are you? He's like, I'm eight. (laughs) (laughs) He's about to retire. That sucks. (laughs) He's like, you're eight years old and you're about to retire. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just pictured an, an eight-year-old smoking, like chain smoking, yeah. <laughs> like I, drinking whiskey. I, I, I've known people who have like really unfortunate birthdays, whether it's on Christmas or New Year's Eve or whatever. And it's like they already have a problem getting birthdays done that are just for their birthday and not for Christmas or not for I New know. Year's Eve or whatever. Or July 4th is the same way. But can you imagine it like if your birthday just really just doesn't exist most of most years? It's just like, yeah, my birthday's <laughs> not coming this year. So sorry. It just doesn't only, even exist. I only have a birthday whenever there's Summer Olympics, you know, <laughs> as often as I can have a birthday. <laughs> Oh, well, I have a little bit of a solution for the YouTube issue, and then we can get into our, our segment, our special segment. Um, oh, yes. I for almost forgot about it. I was about to end yeah. the show without it. I will, take, I will take the links for the YouTubes, and I will start putting them in. I'll post them in the description of the reels and the posts that I do for each episode. That way, because when I searched for our stuff last week's episode, or two weeks now, um, I couldn't find it at all. If you can't find the stuff that you make, folks, that's how you know. It's something but it's wrong. on, it is out there and the link does work if you have the link. So from now on, um, I'll just put the link in a description and that way everybody can at least go back and, and find whatever episode they want to watch or what have yeah. you. So there you something go. Something else you could do is you could go over to Green YouTube. I won't say the name of it. Because like that's something that YouTube flags that if you talk about their competition, like you they they take you down. There's a green YouTube out there. If you don't know what it is, reach out to me. I'll let you know. But we simulcast over there, so every time we're on YouTube, we're also on green YouTube. Folks, if you don't <laughs> want, if you don't want like the president or like the military industrial complex deciding what your entertainment is, if you actually don't want the government like reaching right into your brain and deciding what you are or aren't allowed to hear. You can go over to green YouTube and they'll give you a notification to let you know when we're on. And it works just the same as red YouTube. And uh, you know, you can, you can listen to the show and you can watch it and you can follow. No, it doesn't make us as much money, but it's like, we're eventually going to reach a tipping point where it's like, well, we're, we're making $3 on green YouTube. We might as, you know, we're only making three on $3 on red YouTube. So what does it matter? We should at least get it, the content out to our fans. So look us up there. Correct. You can look us up. Uh, Spotify is leaving us alone. Apple Podcasts. Make sure you hit like and subscribe on there. Leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, I never check that, although I should since I'm you know, kind of a host around here. And uh, if I see a good one, I'll read it on the air because that's like an old tradition that they used to do around here way back in the old Mike and Eric days. Um, and uh, I'll go ahead and go to our, our favorite segment if you're ready. Um. I'm more than ready. Let's go. More than ready. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> Let's play this first, though. This is other <laughs> podcast stupidest takes. Let's take it away. What's the stupidest take from this episode today? How is this case different than a Robert Zemeckis film? <laughs> go ahead and play. Oh, it's not playing. I guess the stupidest take from podcast is me. <laughs> I, think that, I think that I think that was the end. I'll go ahead and replay it. I think that'll work. If Am I, I the clown? It's us. We're the stupidest ones. How is <laughs> how is this case different than a Robert Zemeckis film? We're gonna get into that, and that's like a quandary that the jury also had. I mean, maybe he just has a lower IQ, so he thinks like an eighth grader forever, right? As opposed Could to be. maybe like someone right? who, I mean, I, I keep going yeah. like Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a murderer. No, no, I'm just saying. Yeah. When you, talk, when you watch that and you see he was different. And you right. Tell, he he was sweet and innocent. This guy, I don't see that. Okay. You know?
in fairness, they do say, well, you know, it's silly to compare to compare this person to a fictional character. Uh, but I, I still I still love it that they sit there and say, well, like, what what's your example of, of someone who has an IQ of about 70? Well, there's Forrest Gump and he was such a nice guy, you know, and it's like just the mere fact that they didn't take it out later, I think, is the reason why I have to call him out as a stupid take, because it's like there's just not a live podcast like this one. Like, I'm going to have bonehead takes that, like, you know, later I will be lay lay in my bed twisting and screaming, you know, with anxiety and regret that I that I said some things on, on the air. They have full yeah. editing capabilities. They should have just taken out that part where they're like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't compare uh, the the culpability or the abilities of Robert uh, Mormon because of Tom Hanks's, you know, Oscar award winning portrayal of a, well, of a person with IQ of 70. Probably should have just let the main narrator just be have her own podcast, to be honest. I listened to that one and really every single take that came from the other woman was not very helpful to whatever was going on so and in fairness though most podcast duos are like that where you have one person who knows a lot about it because she was a former police officer and then you just have some guy (laughs) shut up so i mean that happens (laughs) oh my god well i don't understand they kept using like eighth grade this we'll see in a second the grades nobody ever said that robert was at an eighth grade level so i don't know where she's getting that information but yeah whatever. no they made that up and and talking about someone's uh development in terms of a grade it has a lot more to do with like you know their maturity or or mm-hmm. uh their growth uh in terms of their the ultimate you know level of, of capacity that they ever reached here's the right. thing though i'll discuss this after i play the clip because this is this is the point i'm bringing this the reason why i'm bringing okay. it up so is a so, third grader smarter than yeah, a fifth grader? To me, his, his yeah. IQ spectrum's all over the place. Because how would he know to turn down the air to keep it cold in there? Because you know, he's, she's probably been dead for a while now, and he's trying to keep it cool in there. Right. How would he know to do that? I don't, I mean, right. I'm trying to think on a third grade level, would a third grader know to do something like that? No. I don't know. All right, so about... So they're trying to imply that because he knew to conceal his crimes by turning down the the temperature in the in the motel so that the smell didn't go on, that that meant it meant that he had more capacity than he let on, or possibly that he had faked an IQ test, or that he's actually just as functional as anyone else, and maybe a little smarter if he can convince people that he's dumb. Uh, I'm sorry, but when I was when I was in third grade, I knew that if you left food or meat out and you didn't refrigerate it, I knew it would smell smell bad and spoil. I don't think that. I don't, and here's, here's the only thing, not only that, but like, suppose I was a third grader that didn't know that if I stayed a third grader for the rest of my life, I still might learn that at some point. You still learn it. And you would still learn it. You don't just stop just because you have the developmental, like maturity of a third grader doesn't mean that you stop all learning and all growth and all of your life experience at third grade. That's the dumbest thing. Also, um, like I said earlier, he grew up hunting and fishing. He knows how to preserve meat. It's not that far fetched. It's really not. And it's, also, it's just I, right. <laughs> anyway, so the other thing is like, they, she clearly doesn't, and this is not her fault. So I'm not really digging at her for this. I'm just making a point that um, she clearly doesn't really know much about diminished intelligence like working in the courts i was i saw that a lot um 
people having like hearings and things and, and making arguments for somebody's insanity or, or whatever. And there is, it's not black and white. It is, it, it, there's a lot of factors that go into somebody's intelligence level. IQ is just one of them. Yeah. IQ, it's an, it's a measurement. It's a tool. It's not a, oh, well, he's 71 in the threshold 70. So he's good to go. That's yeah. not how that works. And vice versa. Someone could be 60, 68, 69 and not be completely incompetent and totally helpless. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, it just felt very much like she had no idea what she was talking about, but she was just saying words, which is annoying. Yeah. So, well, I mean, the other thing was that as I was listening to it, like I said, it reminded me of some guys that I worked with. He had, he had, you know, you could tell that, uh, you know, he is not as intelligent as other people. Like that's a for granted, mm. but the whole time when you're, when you're, when you're listening to him and we talked about the narcissism or the, you know, the self image issues or just the proclivity for lying. Like you could tell that there's more going on with him than that. And when you look at his history and you see the the alcohol in his family and the other things going on, uh, you could just, you could tell that the, all those things are going on there. Yeah. It seems like, seems like she constantly forgot that. And, uh, you know, if she wants to do their episode was actually from, from 2013 <laughs> and you could tell because of the way that they talked was uh, quite a, quite a bit less PC than us. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the, the, the way that they talked about him was, um, really different and it's another uh, it's another word that if i say it will demonetize this on youtube so i won't say it but uh in, in full fairness I, I that podcast was was pretty okay so if they want yeah. if they're still making the podcast 10 years later and you want to do an episode about how we did it wrong i'll be a guest you know you can, you can reach out anytime you should <laughs> do a podcast roast we should we should we should we should bring each other onto our podcast simultaneously and then release it as episodes on our separate platforms at which we just tear each other down it would be like the ultimate team up like Flintstones versus the Jetsons you know i don't know if you ever saw that cartoon as a kid where where George and yeah. Fred you know were fighting it out but uh, it was a great great movie <laughs> can we like take on like i'll be Rodney Dangerfield and you can be Don Rickles oh why do like, i have to be Don roast. Rickles oh <laughs> I feel like I better Rodney Dangerfield because Rodney Dangerfield always had this like uh, just brutally uh, just terrible way of talking about himself and his life. Like at one point he's <laughs> like, you know, my, my dad died when I was a little kid and I'll never forget the last day I saw him. He said, come over here, here to me, son. I want you to sit on my lap. But they wouldn't let me because he was in the electric chair. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss comedy like that. I know it used to be so good. Not like that anymore. Years. No, it's horrible now. It's <laughs> completely unfunny. Oh, Ooh. I don't agree with that, but whatever. Some well, people are funny, but that kind of comedy is not—it's not a thing anymore. No, it is. That's for sure. Uh, all right, folks, we're gonna end it. We wish you all a Merry Christmas and no other holidays. So I'm not gonna say Happy Holidays to you because it's just Happy Holiday. Just Merry Christmas and Christmas Eve, if you want to count that as a, kind of a separate thing, folks. Uh, failure to stop. It's a full family of podcasts. You can see us here on Sundays for Night Shift TSI with Conservative Ant on Monday. It's Uncuffed with Jay Durrell. They talk about all the news in kind of a comedic way. Tuesday, we'll be back here as we always are to talk the greatest true crime cases. We'll never discuss anything civil, we promise. On Wednesday, it's all the news you need to know so you don't sound like an asshole. Thursday, we got the sports show. Things are going pretty well there so far. We're heading into the playoffs soon, folks. Make sure you're tuning in for that. Share it with a friend. 
where first responders talk about sports and other things. On Friday, of course, Eric talks all the big news of the Thin Blue Line. He and Tyler break it all down. So better stops always here for you. Thanks for being here for us. We thanks for uh, another wonderful year. I started out here this past January, and I'm so glad to be here. Uh, we appreciate all of you. Thanks for your support. It's been great. Guns up. Giddy up. Good night, America. Say goodbye, Kendra. Goodbye, Kendra.